Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Karen Spencer was a talent agent in Hollywood when she received an interesting offer from Ashton Kutcher, give up her job, her assistant, and become his assistant. She took the leap and she spent the next five years helping him build Catalyst, his production company for film, TV, and digital media. Karen was promoted to VP of production at Catalyst, but her attentions were diverted away from producing film and towards social media when Ashton launched his quest to become the first person on Twitter to reach 1 million followers. There was no turning back once the immediate gratification of web communications was revealed to her. She went on to lead social initiatives for celebrities like 50 Cent and Tyra Banks. Later, as the VP of Brands at The Audience, which was the first ever influencer agency founded by Sean Parker, Ari Emanuel, and Oliver Luckett, she brought influencers and brands together to amplify their messaging. As the head of creators at Twitter for Vine, she shepherded Vine stars around the globe into unforgettable content opportunities, like filming Vines at the White House with Michelle Obama. For the last few years, Karen has worked in-house for brands, first as VP of Hello Lab at AT AT&T, and then as Director of Celebrity Partnerships and Influencer Marketing at Target, leading talent-first initiatives for both digital creators and traditional celebrities. But when Whaler, a global influencer agency combining talent representation with tech for brands, came to pitch her at Target, she was so captivated by their work, she just had to join them. Today, she's SVP of Partnerships and Leading Business Expansion on the West Coast. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you, Jesse. I am entering my third week of quarantine, self-isolation in Venice, California. And I have to say selfishly, um, you know, to live in one of the um, most well-known beaches in the world. It's so nice and peaceful. We're having a moment here in Venice Beach that we've never had before. Um, The beaches are now closed uh, to tourists. And so it really just feels like a tiny, small town. And you just see um, your neighbors out walking dogs. And um, I do wish that we had more of this peace and quiet more often. Um, But of course, not under these circumstances. Circumstances. So it's just been a really interesting time um, of reflection. And I think a lot of us are feeling that um, from within the walls of our homes. Yeah, isn't it such? I mean, the understatement of the century is these are unique times, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is in so many ways. And what you were just talking about, you know, reminded me of something a friend said to me just the other day. She's like, it's like the, I don't know, the it's a never in history has the world just paused like this and all that that means like to the environment to you know communities to just like just to humanity it's uh, you're experiencing it on this local level um you know what is your 
what is your, what is the sense that you're getting from, you know, your family, your loved ones, your community, like how, what's the pulse on how everybody around you is feeling right now? Yeah, I read something this morning that said it feels like we've all been sent to our rooms to think about what we've done. And, um, I really felt that. Um, you know, I think the the most interesting thing um, that I'm feeling and that my friends and family, I think, are feeling right now is that even though um, many people are already sort of deep in the thick of this, you know, we know that our health um, workers on the front lines are already exhausted and taxed beyond belief. We know that the hospitals are filling up. Um, But I think looking at the predictive models for what um, is to come in the U.S., there's not only um, more death and illness to come, I think, in um, mass numbers, but Uh, It feels like we're just kind of waiting to find out what the ultimate uh, resolution from this is, right? Because so many people have already lost their jobs. We know that so many industries, um, small restaurants and hotels, certainly um, things will not be the same for them again, likely anytime soon. And so it's this strange feeling of limbo. um, And, you know, I think a lot of... um, the only thing that we can really do right now is live day by day and and check in with ourselves on that hierarchy of needs every day. Do I have a roof over my head? Do I have enough feed to feed my uh, enough food to feed myself and my family? Um, are my immediate needs taken care of? And if the answer is yes, then I think you're already luckier and more fortunate than a lot of people in this country. And so, to what extent um, all of this has an impact on the the shape of America moving forward, I think is is still a big question mark for a lot of people and puts us all in that feeling of um, being a little on edge, being a little uncomfortable with what's to come. But um, I do think it is a period of opportunity to take a look at what we've been um, doing in the past uh, few decades and realize that um, you know, a lot of what we've all seen around us is bad behavior and um, and a lot of talking about how we knew that we weren't treating the earth properly and we knew that um, we were acting irresponsibly in a number of ways. And, and like you said, for the first time, we're all being asked and being forced to pause on our lives, which we normally feel like we cannot pause because we feel so many pressures and obligations and needs to do things by a certain amount of time. And a lot of that pressure right now is gone. And um, there is nothing that you need to do other than keep yourself and your family safe. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, a lot of time for thought and reflection. And it will be interesting to see if this is the paradigm shift that our um, culture needed, or if um, <laughs> you know everyone will just sort of try to put things back together and continue on the way that we were before. Yeah, I mean, and I can see you know a couple different sides of that. Of course, like you can look back and say there's a lot of room for improvement, but you know on a human level as well, I think that I've heard a lot of people say you know oh I just I wish I had my old life back. I wish I had my old life back. And there's just, you know, uh, like a human 
like outcry for that just because of like you said how like uncomfortable this is for people um you know a, a handful of people thrive when there's change i would actually say i'm maybe one of those people like i'm absolutely one of those people um but I would say probably more than not, most people don't thrive with change. Maybe they're fearful of it or scared of it or, you know, a bunch, a lot of different negative things. How do you personally feel when, when it comes to change? Do you embrace it or do you not really want it? Um, well, not really by design, uh, but my life has been about constant change. And um, <laughs> I learned a few jobs ago to give up the uh, hope that, that I was looking for to um, wind up in a job for five years or more, because for a while that was what I was focused on was, wow, I've had so many different jobs. I'd love to just get somewhere and be on my fifth Christmas party and look back and remember what it was like at the first Christmas party. And I was striving for that consistency. But for whatever reason, you know, I've had so many strange things happen at jobs. I've had companies close. I've had, um, bosses die. I've had bosses go to jail. I've had all kinds of strange things occur. And what that's meant in the long run, I think, has been that I've had um, a value uh, in, enforced around being um, really flexible and being really able to um, change and uh, bend as needed. And I think that's certainly serving me well. Um, in these times, I've also, uh, you know, lost a parent. And I think uh, as anyone who has lost someone um, in their family can tell you that once you've gone through something like that, um, you really start to understand what's important and put things into perspective. And I think also just, you know, with age, I'm 42 now. And so um, I find a lot of things less disturbing and less alarming than I did in my earlier years because I start to ask myself now, um, will this matter in five years? Will this matter in 10 years? And if the answer is no to those questions, then I keep the drama quite low on um, a situation that might have really upset me and caused me to go into high gear a few years prior. I feel like people listening... Um would probably either agree with that mentality or perhaps be envious of that, <laughs> of how you get to that space. So I'm sure it like, it wasn't always like that. Um, and for the people who are listening, who might just be like, oh, like there's so much, you know, noise right now and sadness and stress and all of those things. What piece of advice could you give to people um, that, you know, maybe you discovered on your own of just how to get to a place of peace about things? Well, um, it might, you know, be a symptom of living in a very chill community of Venice, California for the last three years. But I think what I've just ultimately um, come to believe is that everything in life is about love. Um, how much you love yourself, how much you love others, how much love you can give to your community, and um, how you're making sure to be open to that and aware of it on a daily basis. And whenever there is a, a challenge or struggle in my life these days, I ask myself 
you know, let's pull back and look at what the situation is here. And oftentimes I will find that there's someone feeling threatened, someone feeling harmed, which essentially means not loved. And I really, I, I like, it is strange to say these things out loud because it makes me feel like a hippie. Um, but I do find that even in the most corporate situation, you can unpack a conflict and realize that um, there's some love that can be infused there and that it oftentimes um, really creates a solution. So I love the idea of being solutions oriented. It's one of my like biggest, my most important philosophies. I think that in a lot of instances when there is some sort of tension, um, you know, people sort of can succumb to the stress of it or the drama of it or what have you or the negativity of it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, putting that energy towards being solutions oriented is, is going to be everything beneficial to you. Like it's going to be the positive force that helps you through. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your incredible company. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you guys are dealing with the inevitable effects of COVID-19, how you guys have been solutions oriented and, you know, where, what you guys have been doing to combat all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm working um, at an influencer agency called Whaler now, and um, I worked at uh, the first ever influencer agency back in the day called The Audience, and that was a company founded by Ari Emanuel from William Morris Endeavor and Sean Parker from Facebook and a tech um, entrepreneur named Oliver Luckett. And they originally created the agency uh, to manage the social pages for Ari's celebrity clients. Um, Ari kind of made uh, famous to mainstream uh, through the depiction of uh, Ari in Entourage. And um, so he is an agent um, here in LA and he at the time was looking for a resource to provide his celebrity clients for all of their social management. And I think it was about a year into that agency existing before we really started to pivot towards talent whose careers had um, been born online. And um, the chain smokers had come to Oliver, one of the owners of the company, and asked um, if we could work on a moment of virality for them. And he said, uh, there's, a, there's a word that I think is about to be popular called selfie. Can you make a song called selfie <clears throat> and uh, bring it back to us? So they made the song Selfie, and um, then we asked all of our celebrity clients to take a selfie and um, send it to us and stitched it together in that music video and shared it back with all of the celebrities, and they shared it on their social networks um, because they were in the video, right? So it hit upon this notion that um, ultimately we're all narcissists and, um, if we're in a music video, we're going to share it on our platforms. And so it started to kind of build the structure for influencer marketing as we know it today. And we built this, like, I'll never forget this slide. It's just, 
um, embedded in my brain this slide to kind of explain to our brand clients, you know, okay, so we get people who are famous and we get people who are really popular online and we get them to talk about your brand and that leverages the love that their fans feel for them over to your brand. And it felt really complicated for everyone to metabolize at that point. But now, of course, um, it seems like it's uh, penetrated everyone's um, awareness. And so we're, we're in a different time now. And from um, the time that I worked at the audience until uh, last year, when I was the head of celebrity and influencer partnerships for Target, I had um, really been spending the last few years taking pitches from influencer agencies on the brand side and then poking a lot of holes in the work that they were doing um, because I just felt like there's an entire equation that needs to happen when you're working in influencer marketing. And a lot of the work that I was seeing um, might have been really strong in one area, but then some balls were dropped in other areas. I was just looking for this whole and complete equation. Um, and I was not finding that. And Whaler came uh, to pitch me when I was at Target. And I started sort of doing the traditional hole poking that I um, was used to. And I just couldn't find any. And I um, saw that not only their tech platform that enables both uh, the brand clients and their talent clients to access um, provided this really seamless experience, but also um, the creativity, the the work. I've never seen work at such a high level as what Whaler produces. Um, and then they really killed me with this neuro study that they did, the first ever neurological study of the impact that influencer content has on audiences as opposed to traditional brand ads that you would normally see on television. And um, we know that creativity drives emotion and emotion drives recall and recall drives sales. And um, I think I've, I've heard you talk about before, the, the measurement of influencer marketing can sometimes be a real challenge. Um, and this is one of those studies that digs deep in trying to explain the emotional impact that influencer content has on an audience versus a brand message. And what we found is that the brain registers uh, influencer content to be 277 times more creative than a traditional brand ad. And so for me, all of this has always been about human to human connection. And now we have the science to back it up and this incredible study that really explains to people why having a person talk to them about uh, the impact that a brand has had on them versus a brand speak directly to them is so much more powerful. Um, and I think especially in these COVID times that we were talking about, um, a human to human connection has never been more important than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that, right? Like, because I think that everybody is sort of taking all of this day by day. But I think one of the most powerful things I've ever learned is to just listen. And what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing on social media is that given the times and and all that that entails, social media is like on fire right now, um, even more so than ever before. 
influencer marketing at its purest form, influencing at in its purest form, is just the ability to reach communities. And I I have seen the most incredibly beautiful things in the past you know few weeks that this whole COVID thing has been going on, a huge uptick in engagement on every single platform. And really people step up. I think that a lot of influencer marketing, that's now, now we're adding the word marketing to influencers because that's influencers can do all sorts of things, but everybody needs to make some money, right? Um, this is the business side of it. So once you add the word marketing to it, it becomes influencer marketing and we, you know, tie in, you know, brand deals and things like that. I've seen a lot of opinions floating around. I heard uh, someone on a on a webinar just the other day say, for example, I can't possibly fathom how luxury brands could make any sort of resurgence because it, it just people aren't going to have the money for it anymore. And especially in terms of influencer marketing, it seems almost it, it seems insensitive at this point. So it's going to be maybe a, a shift in the paradigm to, you know, really get back to some core things, right? You're talking at the very beginning of our discussion about like, you know, do I have a roof over my head? Do I have food to eat? You know, sort of like really simplifying things down. In this state right now where things are during COVID, how do you think brands can make a big impact in influencer marketing in the present state of things? Well, already I'm seeing um, sort of a remarkable difference between the way that we've been um, working with some of our clients across social and digital versus, let's say, again, a television ad, right? Like I so rarely ever have the opportunity to watch a television ad, but um, with these times being home, um, I've tuned into, I'd say my favorite network program ever, CBS Sunday Morning. (laughs) It's something very comforting about that show, like a bowl of chicken soup. And I was looking at um, the commercials running on that show yesterday. And, you know, a lot of um, companies, it seemed probably they still had their ad buy in place. And so they wanted to not... um, produce something that felt tone deaf. They knew that they needed to have a more Corona appropriate ad, but the ads are very much like, you know, we at this giant company want you to know that in this time where connection is more important than ever, we're here for you. And I saw that from like three different big companies in, um, in a television ad yesterday and just thought like, where is, where's the emotion behind that? You're telling me that you big faceless company are here for me, but what does that mean really? Whereas when I look at digital and social, we've seen so many pivots that have been encouraging and connecting and really community minded. So many live streams popping up, so many people, um, taking their paywalls down and offering things for free and of value to parents who are at home with their kids. Um, And just a real fluency around companies who have um, an understanding of what is needed right now with a 70% increase in time spent on social media. We're seeing a 76% increase in engagements um, on posts that are uh, marked with hashtag ad in the last two weeks. So like you said, we know that engagement is up. We know that people are spending more and more time on digital and social. So how can brands... 
um, utilize that without being opportunistic and how can influencers also um, have a voice? And I think the answer for me is around um, the gaps that most companies feel right now in providing content to their audiences on digital and social. And um, the good news is the silver lining in this terrible situation is that so many professional influencers are in fact content creators who have studios in their home who are fantastic photographers and videographers and um, not only have the skills to create content that you know maybe your company had a big television commercial scheduled or a big print shoot scheduled and none of that is possible now we have creators who can make that content for your brand at a lower price and then also advise you on how to connect it to your community because that is in fact what they do every day. And you had mentioned uh, the the sort of overall um, negative stereotype that often comes with influencers in general. And I think this is a real time um, that I hope everyone can see that we're not always talking about this stereotypical influencer that I think comes to the top of everyone's mind. You know, it's not Jake Paul. It's not um, kind of a, a fluffy girl who only wants to post bikini content on beaches. These are people who are professional content creators. They, um, they create an outstanding amount of deliverables on a weekly basis. They know how to message it properly. They know how to connect with human beings. They've proven that by growing their own audiences on a lot of different platforms over and over again. These are professional social media strategists and they can help you right now more than ever because they eat, sleep and breathe on the internet. And um, I love seeing some of the companies that we're working with understanding that and leaning into the creators for advice. And I love to see some of our creators have pushed back and said, you know, like, hey, I've got this swimwear campaign that we had worked on three weeks ago that is supposed to be published this week. It just doesn't feel right the way that we had planned it. Can I work with the brand to kind of talk about um, things that feel more resonant and relevant to my audience now? Because I know that if I come across looking opportunistic or looking just simply salesman-y right now on behalf of a brand, that it's not only going to create a backlash for me personally, but it's going to create a backlash for that brand influencers have really wanted for brands to just trust them more, um, not edit their language, not edit their tone, um, and really trust them that they know their audience the best. And brands being the ones who are paying the paychecks at the end of the day, um, have said, you know, too bad. It's our brand, our brand message. And, you know, we want more control, um, especially agencies who get paid. That's their job is to come up with the strategy and, and add something to the equation. So the reason I bring this up is because this has sort of been like the historical pain point in a lot of instances between influencers and brands. And now, based on all of the things you were just saying, very, very valid points. Now more than ever, there is such an opportunity there to really lean into the influencers if we know that the language needs to be treated sensitively, 
and we don't necessarily know how exactly to say it, that influencer would have a really strong insight into how it should be presented, how it should be said. These influencers are the most efficient, most economical agency (laughs) that a brand could ever look towards versus what, you know, a huge production company or, you know, huge commercial on TV. I mean, it's a tiny fraction of what that would cost. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have you already seen a shift in sort of going back to trusting influencers, the power sort of being in influencers? Or, you know, do you think that that's a possibility of where things might go? Yeah, for me, this has really been the the problem that I've been trying to solve for for the last 10 years working in this industry. And I think we've seen um, a lot of media transition in the last few years. And we've always known on the influencer side of things that we were um, a leader around that change, but that we had not fully stepped into our full power in the way that we know that we could and that we could unlock so much more success for our clients and brands if um, there was more of a shorthand and a trust there. And I want to be really careful in how I represent this because I have worked on every side of the industry. I've, I'm at an agency now. I've been at an agency prior. I've been on the brand side and the client side. I've worked directly for creators. And so I've, I've put myself in the shoes of all of the different players in this game. And by no means am I pointing fingers at any one part of the typical equation. But I do very much believe that the typical way that things have been done Um, for years with brands and marketing and agencies is not the way that they should continue being done, especially when it comes to influencers or creators. You know, creator is really my default word, um, but I find myself using the word influencer around a lot of um, brands because I think that's an easier word for them to understand. But I've always struggled to understand why brands are so comfortable going to a creative agency and asking a room full of creative executives to dictate their social strategies, their digital strategy, their messaging, to come up with the ideas, and then to assign that out to a creator um, as if they were just a hired gun, just essentially treated like a media buy, treated like a straight up media channel for their following and their high engagement, but the whole point of why an influencer has that following that they do and has the high engagement that they do is because they created the ideas and they created the content and they published the content and they made every decision along the way of how should my caption um, read? How should I dress for this? Should this be funny? Should, you know, what kind of emotion do I want to evoke in my audience? They built it from the ground up and What I saw in the last few years was a lot of companies kind of landing on exactly what they wanted the content to be and then going to the creator and asking them to post it. Well, that is just, it's such a broken model. It doesn't work that way. And um, what I felt lucky enough to do at Target was to build an always-on ambassador program 
Um, we called it Target Talent the first year. Uh, it involved seven different creators who um, were excelling in their particular lane, um, but each creator came from a, a different type of demographic and a different um, you know, brought a different perspective to share because I do think that prioritizing diversity and inclusion um, in any influencer work is so important. And um, you've got to be telling more than one story as you move forward in this work. But we set a goal for ourselves in the first year of that target talent campaign. We hoped that by instead of being prescriptive around the type of content we wanted them to post, that we would take every month um, let's say 10 different things that uh, different departments at Target wanted to cover. And so we would, you know, say to this creator, hey, here's 10 different things that Target would like to talk about this month. Would you like to choose one that resonates with you personally and that you know will resonate with your audience and come up with your creative take on it and then let us know what you'd like to do? And so by um, giving them the freedom to work like that, um, what I had hoped was that we would see that our branded content with them outperformed any other branded content that they published in that time because we, I knew that no one else was giving them the type of creative freedom that I was. And what we actually saw which blew me away was that um, our branded content not only outperformed their other branded content, but it outperformed some of their organic content as well. And I think that was just the magical alchemy of not only the creators being really excited and enthused around the freedom that they had to come up with their own strategy, but also the customers um, loving Target, right? So they, they were so excited to see a brand that they loved and already felt a personal connection to working with a creator who they loved. And they felt like that by Target choosing one of their favorite creators, Target was also seeing them and giving them the opportunity to feel validated that like, oh my gosh, I've been following this kid since he's been making his own videos in his bedroom since he was 15. And now he's working with Target and I love Target. And it just all came together in a way that um, felt really powerful for so many. Um, but I think that's a great model to look at if you're a brand and you're trying to understand the best way of working with influencers. There's a, there's a lot of other brands doing it right now. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that as a trend in the market around annual or long term deals because you can really start to get to know someone. They can start to get to know your brand over a period of time. Um, and it's not a one-off deal. It's not transactional. It's not something that an audience kind of quickly breezes by. They start to understand like, oh, my favorite creator equals this brand over and over and over again. And so I will now be loyal to that brand because my favorite creator is loyal to that. I think that everyone listening, I hope really, really appreciates the, you know, wealth of experience that you bring to this conversation, because exactly what you said is true. Like you have been on all sides of it. And so I love hearing from uh, someone who has been on all sides and who therefore brings pretty much an impartial perspective, having experienced all of that. Exactly what you just said. I mean, I can't tell you enough, though having been on the representation side with influencers. So I'm seeing all day, every day, what's being presented to influencers. And I can certainly speak to that side. I would say maybe a handful of times <laughs> has a, a few creative ideas been presented and then, you know, choose this, choose which one resonates with you. 
And when I have seen that, I have seen it be successful. It's great to see that you've seen the same thing. I've also seen exactly what you were describing, so I can vouch, which is when, you know, there is an opportunity for a longer term play, it's always more successful than a one off. I feel like, you know, let's realistically, right? Like a target, of course, a target has the ability to have a long-term campaign. Like Target is one of the biggest retailers in in the country. So, you know, it's great to see that they're embracing that um, and have embraced that. And I hope that they still do because it, it will, you know, increase the odds that a partnership will be successful. But what would you say to maybe some of those smaller brands? And smaller is is saying a lot, right? Because most every brand is smaller than Target. But let's say, you know, a brand who's starting out on social media, uh, it, you know, working with influencers or, you know, a brand who just has done it in a different way or is hesitant for some reason to initiate a really long-term campaign. Um, what would you say to those people as, as the benefits and, and the reason they should do it? Well, first of all, I would say, when I have worked on the brand side for big companies um, with large budgets, I have still always spent that money as if it was coming from my own bank account. Just because I had money to spend didn't mean I always spent it because I think there is a lot of what I call apologetic deal making that's done with those bigger brands. And when a representative or talent hears that, you know, they're getting a call from one of the most recognizable brands um, in the industry, sometimes they immediately go to like, oh, this is going to be my giant paycheck. And I I want to be sure that, especially in working in an industry where there is no real quantifiable metric um, that everyone has yet agreed upon by which um, to evaluate uh, a post, um, I I definitely don't believe in overpaying for um, what you're getting. And I think every person has to come up with a formula that makes sense. I think, uh, first of all, you know, we started with seven creators at Target for the year. Um, If you are working with a smaller company and have a smaller budget, you certainly don't need to work with seven. We also had hundreds of messages that we were responsible for um, focusing on at Target, because as you can imagine, there's just uh, any, just an unlimited amount of um, products within the store that you need to uh, make sure you're connecting with people on. But um, I think you have to start with what your brand values are and what your core audience is, and then ask yourself, first of all, am I in that demo myself? Um, Because if you're not, I think it's really important to get a decision maker on your team who does represent that demo. Um, My biggest um, concern and awareness around um, a lot of what goes on in corporate America is that um, there are rooms full of people creating strategies to reach demographics of which none of them are represented in. And Um, You know, old white guys trying to figure out how to market to youthful black women is just never going to work. You cannot know what it's like to be um, a black woman unless you yourself are a black woman. So, um, you know, an example of of this that worked really well for me uh, at Vine when I was the head of creators there was, you know, I had to ramp up on that community, which is a really closed specific community quite quickly. And so I hired a Viner who had come up in that community um, to be my right hand and to advise me on the watchouts and the politics. And this person just broke up with this person. So don't put them in a campaign together. All of these things that I would have 
never known. And, um, and that's not a failing on my part. That's just not an experience that I had. And so I think, um, the first thing you have to do is ask yourself, is the demographic I'm trying to reach sitting in my marketing table right now? And if they're not, um, how can I hire someone that represents that demographic and give them the power that they need um, to make these decisions and to drive this creative forward? Um, and so then find uh, influential people, even if they're, um, you know, 10,000, 25,000 followers. If you're starting out small, find people who are also starting out um, and are on that path to become a larger scale influencer, but right now are in a position to work with you um, at a lower budget, or maybe there's some trading, some bartering that's going on. Um, you know, oftentimes I find that when you provide opportunities for creators in different ways um, that they are much more open to working with you for uh, a flexible amount. And I'm not talking about, um, oh, I'm a giant company and I'd like to just give people some free tickets to a concert and I want them to post about my brand. That is not um, that's that's not what we're doing. <laughs> I never believed in that model, and I don't think that anyone should um, try to be paying creative professionals with free concert tickets or, uh, you know, swag. Um, but when you give opportunities like, um, I will put paid media behind all of your posts, and that will give you a boost that you would never see organically. You know, these types of things that are actually um, a business transaction and actually benefit the person on the other side might help bring the initial co cost per post down. Um, and I think it's really just about finding your people online and, um, and staying close um, with them, staying in touch with them. So many people at um, companies do not have a person who lives on the internet. And if if you don't, that's the first thing you need to get. And part of their job needs to be spending hours every day reading comments, looking at social trends, understanding what your customer is looking for so that they can have these aha moments and provide these inspirations on what your company might need to really differentiate yourself. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the value of just having a person or two who exactly what you said, just like living, breathing the work, essentially, you know, the the tone, the the everything that's being said um, is so vital. There's a million other things that need to get done. And so I feel like that piece sometimes gets overlooked. But again, back to what I was saying earlier, so it sounds like we really agree is like the value of listening um, is huge. And just responding based on what you're hearing, I I can't emphasize enough. I, I agree with you. Like it, you're able to make such a more informed decision. Um, you're able to make a more educated decision and arguably in more instances than not the better decision. Um, but, you know, you mentioned about finding your people and I love that so much. You know, one thing that's so important in WIM is, you know, has been and continues to be like really building this incredible community of women in particular who have all found their way to influencer marketing. Um, we have similar paths, you and I, and that we've worked in, you know, talent representation, but representing more traditional talent, um, actors specifically in our former lives. Um, you know, one of the very unique things about influencer marketing is, you know, it's very rare that 
people start their careers in this. Usually people have found it from a wide variety of different ways. Um, But finding your people is so important. We talk a bit on this podcast, a bit in women general, just about mentorship, working together as women in business and what all of that entails. It is a particularly challenging time right now um, where people are being laid off. People are needing this community more than ever. People are needing a support system um, and connection more than mentorship more than arguably ever before. Talk to us a little bit about your mentors. Talk to us a little bit about your personal community that you've built and how you think you've been able to utilize it and help people as well. Uh, so many things uh, with with that topic. I mean, I just thought of like 10,000 things. So we could be here all day. Um, <laughs> I, you know, first of all, when you were talking about um, layoffs and furloughs, I do think there's never been a better time to be in digital and social, right? Like one thing that I've always wished is that I had a technical brain and could have learned how to be an engineer. Um, some of you right now have nothing to do but sit in your homes. If you have a technical brain, teach yourself how to code. You could have an entirely new career that is more lucrative than the one you had before you. And I think going back to, you know, we were talking about this this transition time in media that we all knew we were sort of smack in the middle of, I think what all of this has done and is has just fast forwarded that what we thought was probably going to be a transition um, away from traditional TV into streaming and um, away from any kinds of traditional media into digital and social. I think we've just like hit the the gas full fledged um, headed straight into that. So any kind of fluency that you can build around social and digital and things that can travel all over the globe in a moment. Um, now is the time to take advantage of um, this industry and really learn about it um, as much as you can. And of course, uh, so many women, I think, have have always excelled in marketing. Um, I'm not quite sure why I've always, maybe that's something I should do while I'm self-isolating. I um, have always just been fascinated at how in most large companies you go into the marketing department and it's majority women. Um, I'd love to know sort of the journey that took us took us all there and why it seems like um, women are a really traditional fit in marketing but in some other departments um, it's really male dominated but I for one you know for many years didn't realize that I was working in marketing um, because like you said I came up through the the traditional sort of Hollywood path working um, for actors and with actors and um, I would say my um, the three people that I learned the most from in this industry um, were three of my uh, employers, Ashton Kutcher, Tyra Banks, and Chris Lighty. And the three of them, I just was so fortunate to work for um, because they were all early adopters. They were all fascinated by tech and communicating um, with technology and um, their instincts uh, to sort of seek out these things before they became popular really benefited me. You know, I worked on Ashton Kutcher's um, campaign to be the first person on Twitter with a million followers. And that was um, a real aha moment for me when I realized that 
you can connect immediately with an audience on social. Um, I worked with Tyra when she was um, focused on body positivity and inclusivity and making sure, um, you know, as she sort of oversaw this global franchise of top model shows, making sure um, to counsel the people in um, different countries that the American model of beauty was not a model that they should be upholding as well, that they should look to their own culture and their own identities and uphold that as an authentic model of beauty. Like all of this was so far ahead of um, its time long before where we are now when that just seems second nature. But um, and then Chris Lighty, who uh, sort of famously represented hip hop artists and put together the uh, deal with 50 Cent and Vitamin Water that ultimately made 50 Cent millions and millions of dollars. Um, he was someone who understood at an early period that musicians were not going to be able to solely focus on their music um, to make a living in these times. And so he started pairing his uh, his clients with brands and um, really became the liaison between the traditionally white corporate world and the world that he um, was in which was um, hip-hop and uh, music. And, you know, he was kind of the guy that both the rapper wanted in the room and corporate America wanted in the room to liaise back and forth between both parties. And I just, um, you know, was quite lucky to come up uh, working with those three people. And in return, I hope that what I've been able to do in my career is my own version of that. Um, You know, I think... Uh, with every job that I've had, and I've, like I said, had um, <laughs> more more than I should have had, uh, more than my fair share, but I always um, feel so fortunate to get the opportunity to meet at least one outstanding person at every company and kind of add them to my tribe and um, take them along with me. Uh, you know, I've had several people work um, with me at three companies now because I just identify talent and um, really want to connect with it and nurture it. But also like that is a two-way street because as much as I can provide around um, really counseling people to, um, I think, stay as neutral as possible and and also um like how to find the secret way to innovate through the traditional channels. Uh, the younger people who work for me are the ones who keep me in touch with um, trends. And like I said, you know, get those people to live on the internet for you. Like I don't always have the time to spend looking um, online at everything that's going on. And so I need um, that young person in the room who's going to feel empowered enough to say to me, like, no, what you're saying right now is not cool at all. <laughs> and, he, and you need to stop saying it right now. I need those people to keep me in check. And I feel really fortunate to have a, a strong community. Yeah, I was I, it's funny that you bring that up because I was going to ask you earlier when you mentioned it. I was like, are you doing that yourself? I can imagine, you know, are you the one scouring the internet and always on social? And I, you know, I, I'm sure you are when 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 you need to be and I'm sure you are because you enjoy it and it's part of it that you absolutely love but you know you've got responsibilities that prevent you from being on it as much as you you would arguably need to be in order to completely stay up to 
um, up to date on everything. So, you know, so I'm glad to hear that you have your person. Um, and you know, that sort of leads me to just think people who right now have, they're not working right now, or they've hours set back or furloughed or what have you. Like, I just want to remind people to never forget the value that you bring, regardless of what is going on in the world. Just even like an obsession with social media, like that's valuable to someone just like you. (laughs) Like you're saying, like you couldn't do half the things that you're doing if you didn't have that person who is living, breathing, and essentially advising you and, and notifying you and keeping you up to date with everything that's going on online, how valuable that is. And all the things that are either innate in somebody who's grown up in social media or instincts that have been a culmination of time um, working for, you know, all sorts of whether it's industries outside of influencer marketing or different roles within media or marketing or talent representation or what have you. Like, I just want to remind people in a time where I feel like people start questioning themselves and their abilities and possibly get down on themselves. Like you have so much value to bring to the table. Um, I want that to be a really important message that continues to echo in our community in particular. Um, I just, I I see people getting down about things and I just want to remind everybody to just feel confident in their own abilities um, and take an opportunity, take a moment to lift up somebody else in whatever circles you run in, whether it's in our industry, whether it's somebody in another industry, like people need that right now. I um I will never forget the rule that Twitter had for their employees when it came to posting on social media. Super simple, super easy to remember, and I've used it as a a guideline ever since then, which is keep it classy. It's, it's so basic, right? Like I think a lot of people use social media sometimes as a channel to complain about customer service from a company or just complain in general. And um, I think especially in this climate when a lot of the analysis will be done via your social and digital channels because you're not going to be meeting anyone in person anytime soon, um, you know, like ask yourself if that complaint really needs to be posted. Ask yourself if um, you would rather inspire someone today or have someone read something um, that contributes to the negative thoughts that they were already having. Um, I think that uh, also while we're on the topic of um, people who may be struggling and looking for work and looking for mentorship, um, can I just say that the phrase um, pick your brain is my least favorite phrase and I get a lot of people asking me that um, constantly like, hey, can I just grab you for 30 minutes to pick your brain? Anytime someone says that to me, I imagine myself dead in a desert with my <laughs> brains um, splayed on the ground and vultures just picking through the contents. Like, um, I can't stand that phrase. And I also want to say that if you are looking for a job, creativity and research and ingenuity will win every time. I have a lot of people who send me messages on LinkedIn and say, you know, I'm young and I'm trying to figure out how to um, find my way in this industry. And I'd love to just take 30 minutes of your time and ask you a bunch of questions, which, you know, sometimes um, I have the time for, but more often than not, I don't. 
Um, there is a ton of information on me and anyone who's been in the industry on social and digital for a long time. If you sit down, if you really are interested in learning about me per se, uh, you could spend three hours Googling me and reading a lot of stuff about me. You could read my Twitter feed. You could read my, my Instagram feed and looked at my LinkedIn page and you could learn a lot. And I, every now and then I want to say like every six months, I get a message on LinkedIn from someone that says like, Karen, I, um, have been watching you or I have, I've studied you and I'm fascinated by this and this and this, and this is what really resonates with me. And I'd love to hear more about it from you. And also what I can offer for you is, you know, I see you're working on, um, campaigns for Gen Z and I am somebody in Gen Z. So if you'd like to ask me questions and if you want to know who I'm following right now, I'd love to give you that in exchange. And I want to see so much more of that, not like, hey, Karen, let me buy you a coffee in exchange for 30 minutes of your time, because 30 minutes of my time is worth more than a cup of coffee. Yes. But an, uh, an <laughs> yes, opportunity. I'm snapping. <laughs> but if if I have an opportunity to talk to you, you're 21 years old. Absolutely. The thing that I want to know is what influencers are you following? What content do you love? How much um, time are you spending every day on which platforms? What are your favorite trends right now? That's free market research for me. I would love to ask you those questions, but understand that when you're reaching out to someone who has limited time and you're asking them to give something of themselves to you, you need to be prepared. You need to have done your research and you need to be willing to offer something that you have as well. And don't tell me that you don't have something to offer because you absolutely do. Oh my goodness. I, I almost feel like, like, let's end it there. (laughs) That it's all so, so, so valuable. You know, look, we've talked about a bit of this in WIM for sure. We're a networking group. People have all sorts of opinions about how to network. People sometimes feel intimidated or all sorts of feelings about networking, but we're sharing information, networking, and leadership. Those core tenants make up this organization for a very specific reason. Exactly what you described, I think will absolutely enable more collaboration. Like that's that's really what I think it is. Like just approaching networking in that with that philosophy makes such a huge difference because again, like exactly what you said, everybody does have something to contribute to the conversation. Hopefully you, you know that about yourself and your contribution and you feel confident in that, or at least you subscribe to that philosophy, but everybody has something to contribute to the conversation. And that is arguably where all the the most incredible work happens is that that collaborative spirit. And I'd love to see that more. And I think that that could relate directly to the work in collaborating on strategy, helping people on a human level right now, doing things intentionally, doing things with purpose and knowing the amount of value that you have to bring to that collaboration is huge. So I appreciate that those thoughts 100%. We ask this of everybody on the podcast, and I'm so looking forward to hearing um, what you have to say, but what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? 
Um, I, <laughs> uh, you know what, honestly, I would say that for me, the advice that I wish someone had kept me focused on, it's not as inspirational as I'd like it to be, but honestly, I am someone who always believed that I would be judged by the level of work that I did. And so oftentimes I was quite focused on, I'm going to create the biggest, explosive, most innovative campaign, whatever I'm working on, it's going to be the best. It's going to be head and shoulders above anything else. And I'm and I have to work really hard to get there. And I have to ask my team to work really hard to get there. And as soon as that campaign or whatever it was that we were making, as soon as that piece of content is released, it will be the best. And all of the struggle that came in getting there will be worth it. And um, what I know now at the age of 42 is quite often it's not about making the best um, piece of content or having the best project in the end. It's actually about how everyone around you on your team, on peripheral teams, on cross-functional teams, it's about how they all feel in the process. And more often than not, someone will tell others that they don't want to work with you or that they they aren't um, vibing with your work style. If you haven't taken the time to, like you said, Jesse, listen, make them feel important, make them feel a part of the process. A lot of times it's um, a political situation. You need to include people who you may not understand why they're included, but the politics and navigating the personalities on many hundreds of people's um, schedules is oftentimes in business much more important than the work product. And that I think was the biggest pill that I've had to swallow over the years. Um, but I think in the long run, what I've learned is looking back at it and getting a lot of perspective and getting out of that tunnel that I sometimes put myself in where I was only focused on having the best thing at the end, um, I kind of goes back to where we started at the beginning, right? Like for me now, it's all about love. How much do I love myself? How much do I love those around me? How much are um, others feeling loved? How much is a community feeling loved? And if you're always focused on being the best and doing the best, sometimes um the way that people feel in that process um, can be marginalized. And um, so nowadays, it's more important for me to keep both things in balance, um, check in on everyone, make sure that everyone is feeling um, the way that they want to feel about the project and that the project is still on track as well. Yeah. What I appreciate you saying also is this is just real advice. I like that's what everybody listening right now wants to hear. So I'll speak. I feel like I can speak on behalf of everybody and just say thank you for giving the advice that is just real. I think that's fantastic. I know that everybody listening is absolutely going to want to get in touch. Um, I wish that I was like the Joe Rogan podcast and we can have four hour long episodes, but we try <laughs> to keep these on the shorter side. I know that I can go on and on and on. But in the meantime, where can everybody get in touch with you when they inevitably have more questions? 
Yeah, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen Spencer, K-A-R-Y-N-S-P-E-N-C-E-R. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I will respond to your message on LinkedIn if you've been creative about it. (laughs) If it's a traditional uh, message, you will probably not hear from me, but I'm super active on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. Karen, thank you so, so much for being on today and uh, be well during this this challenging time. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in.